So I'm Geneve Blackwell and I'm currently Assistant Bishop in the Diocese of Melbourne. I've been here for years. In my role, uh, I'm one of a number of bishops assisting the Archbishop and I have a particular area responsibility, uh, the Mamangatha Episcopate. I'm responsible for 75 parishes and it's largely parishes experiencing urban renewal. I also have a portfolio and that's parish and diocesan partnerships. So when I say partnerships, that's partnering with our agencies, particularly our welfare agencies, but of course there are others as well, like schools and so on. I came here from Canberra Goulburn. I've been a bishop for seven years and in fact I was the first uh, female bishop in New South Wales, bishop who's a woman to be consecrated in New South Wales. And then prior to that, I was in Yass and then Bathurst Diocese, two parishes, Grenfell and Golgong, and then in Sydney as an assistant uh, deacon. So I suppose the, the thing in all of those different places, uh, in, in actually every parish from Golgong on, I was the first woman to be in charge of the parish. And so that was a, a thing in itself in each of those places. Why do you think you got chosen to be the first in each of those roles? What do you have that makes you the prime candidate to be the first? I'm not sure it was always about me, to be honest. There were always things, the reason why I was actually uh, putting myself forward in those roles or someone thought to approach me. Well, no, and actually all of them, there were different reasons why I was actually putting my hand up. So maybe that's actually where you find the reason because some of these places can be quite tough to fill and I was willing to go and it suited me to go as well. So for example, with Golgong, it was time for me to be moving on from where I'd been an assistant for five years. It's not that easy to get a second job in Sydney as a woman. And so it was natural for me to look elsewhere. What kind of challenges were there? You said it was a bit difficult to get a second job there. How is Sydney's attitude different to everywhere else in Australia? Uh, they're not the only diocese, but uh, they're not a diocese that theologically um, believes in the um, ordination of women in terms of being consecrated as a bishop and that's to do with views around a relationship between men and women and and leadership so it's a theological difference basically and I was ordained as a deacon and uh, and so could be an assistant in a parish but couldn't actually uh, lead a parish be in charge of a parish so so it's really to do with theological views so, so it becomes an issue over time in Sydney if, if you're in a place for a long time, then you become very much the experienced person. That can lead to tension sometimes when you have uh, new rectors come in. Uh, and then also, like I said, that finding of the second job. Yeah. Mm. You sound like you've really come to terms with different opinions, some of which could have hindered your career quite drastically had you not been willing to move very much. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I, I Look, I'm someone who's never really seriously been limited in ministry. There's other women who it's been very different. For me, the door has always been open at the time that I was ready to be walking through it. So I've never been seriously limited in what I've felt called to do and for, in fact for me it's been far more being asked to do something and then growing into the role that's been far more my experience I don't have to 
um, have everything signed, sealed and delivered before I think I can, I'll say yes to something. There is an element of trust that I'll be... If someone asks me to do something... So I think that's the difference, actually. In a lot of other workplaces, people apply for jobs cold. It's quite different, isn't it? Whereas I think in the church there's still a lot of that asking people, uh, I suppose you'd call it headhunting, tapping people on the shoulder, then for me it's about trusting what others see in you, even if I can't fully see it myself. I think that's what it is. Uh, As I look back to all those different roles, oh, the first year was very hard work, (laughs) you know, and and, and often feeling overwhelmed and can I do this and so on like that. And And it's always been about, for me, the different supports that I have in place as well. Yeah. How do you manage that then? What are your supports? Early on, there was um, a very close friend who has, I think over the years was really in a role of mentor as well. So it was, it was, she was older than me, so it was seven years. So she encouraged me in leadership in lots of different ways. And in fact, when it came to going to college, um, someone else who... Um, I wasn't that close to, but we happened to be having coffee and she says, you know, do I think about ministry? And I gave this long rambling answer. I mean, you know, yes, my father's a Methodist minister. It's always been there in the back of the background, you know, but I wanted to do some other things first and da-di-da-di-da. I mean, I suppose one day, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my friend Christine just looks at me and says, well, why not now, Geneve? And, and interestingly enough, that was just after women had been the ordination to the diaconate had gone through in Sydney. Um, they'd been the first women ordained as deacons, I think, and then very soon after that I went to college. I mean, I decided to go to college in the space of a weekend. It was That's how I make decisions. It's it's I don't labour over things a long time, <laughs> and half the time I don't really understand fully the implication of the decision I'm making. So anyway, off I go to college and offered for ordained ministry, and, and that led to me being received into the Anglican Church and, and so on from there. And that's all about, for me... I was making a commitment to the church and the church was making a commitment to, to me. It's a bit like, you know, marriage versus living together. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so, so that was... So, so, so Christine was actually a very um, key person for me over those years and, um, and I look at a lot about how I operate in ministry now and what I see as important and a lot of it goes back to, to stuff I just imbibed from Christine, actually. Just really basic things like um, you think about what you feel and you feel about what you think and uh, things around if you're the person in charge and, and you've got someone um, working with you in a role, in, I suppose in one sense hierarchically under, but you're working together, you know, you've got to have their back and, and, uh, and that sort of loyalty factor and, you know, just lots of different things um, I just learnt from her over, over time. And uh, not that she had an easy path at all, um, and, uh, and she has since died. I took her funeral just before I started work here. And there were other women back in my growing up years who, um, in teenage years in Wagga, and one of them in particular too, I actually lived with as a young adult at university. And, and again, I took her funeral in that same year. So just prior to me coming here, um, the, those two women who'd been quite key in the early part of my life died within the same year, and I took their funerals, which was quite um, significant actually. But the other one particularly that's been significant for me is um, a, a bishop. And, and so that, interesting enough, that's a male. And, uh, and for me, I think, see, 
it's not just about gender, it's about people's experience in, in roles and helping you to think about it. But I would say he's someone who's also seen it as very important to be encouraging women in ministry. What challenges do you think you've faced more broadly? I'm thinking about the adaptation of rules of accepting of being a mum maybe as a okay, yeah. as a, a female clergy um again for me it's been okay in practice it is interesting when I had both in Sydney diocese there was no parental leave for ordained women there was parental leave for licensed lay people would you believe but not for ordained it was just an anomaly I don't think anyone deliberately thought about it uh, I had a very good boss who just said, you'll take leave, Geneve. <laughs> we just did it. Um, it's interesting here. It's a work in progress. There's more to do there in terms of um, women not being limited. I, I, mean, I think what I wanted to say is I, I can think of some women clergy who really worried about when do I have my children, maybe I should put it off. And I mean, any mother going back to work in whatever job, you wonder how it's all going to work out. And, and I just say, do it. You'll always put the child first and life will arrange it around it, you know. So, so I know that there's women who still worry about that in, in ministry and that worries me. And I do know that um, it, we've still got a way to go in, in making it user-friendly for everyone, I, I think I want to say. But there is a beautiful flexibility in all of it that can make it work and different options that you can do in ministry, yeah. yeah. What do you think are the main obstacles for people considering a career like yours, a career in ministry? It costs quite a bit now to go into ministry. See, I, I went into ministry at a time where my um, fees were paid. There's a certain cost. You're investing a lot. I think the other thing is the church itself is in very challenging times. So, so there's a general lack of trust in the institutions, but also we ourselves have shown a lack of authenticity. So there's challenges in that about what it's going to mean in terms of uh, just how many stipendry that is paid positions in ministry there are, how much we're going to be needing to look at things like in the future, dual vocations, all that sort of stuff. So I think what I'm trying to say there, one of the key challenges will be the resources the church has in the future to support ordained ministry. And, and we are in a time of change and I think we're only just beginning to start to understand if what that will look like. And then... Um, Sometimes there are, even in Melbourne, uh, different places where, you know, they still have to think, will we have a woman? And uh, so there are some places that are quite conservative theologically. Uh, and then there's also places that even if they're not conservative theologically per se, there can still be that um, unconscious bias towards the male candidate, that sort of thing. I was going to say in terms of people coming through in ordained ministry, I think one of the things we've actually realised as uh, the leadership is to, we used to say to people, uh, go, you, you know, go and get some life experience and then come back, and we're doing that less now. And I'll be interested to see the implication that has in terms of women. Does the church have a future? Are you confident in the future of the church? Yes, because whether it looks like it does now, that's another. That's totally another question. But yes, it'll it'll evolve, it'll change, it'll be whatever's needed to be, and it might be painful. I don't know, but I'm I'm not saying it'll necessarily be exactly what you see now. It is going to be different. We we have been used to being more at the centre. I think we're only learning now 
how to operate at the margins more. And I think that will only be more the case. And we've got to learn how to speak from the margins, not from the centre. And our future, I think, will depend a bit on how well we learn to do that. But we'll have a future. It's just what it will look like, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. When you reflect on your time so far of what you've achieved, how do you feel? I, I, I'm trying to use feeling words. Um, <laughs> I've always felt that I'm in uh, where God has wanted me to be. I've always felt that... Um, I've always felt, I don't know whether this is a feeling word, but oh, happy, blessed that I'm in a job that I, I love. You know, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, this boring job. You know, there's always something new and different. Um, it's something that I've really grown in. So, so I've always felt very fulfilled in, in, in my role. Uh, I've felt challenged and so on, but, but I've, I've felt fulfilled. And I've always felt that it's, it's brought together just different things. You know, could have been a teacher, could have been a social worker, could have been a librarian, could have been whatever else. But actually, I'm in this role that actually brings together all those different things. So I've just felt very fulfilled and, 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 and blessed. I, what I actually feel particularly encouraged by is I think... Women are part of the changing narrative of the church. So I think people have a stereotype of the church, and not surprised really, um, you know, uh, which, which they'll think men and men hanging on to leadership and so on like that. But actually women being having more and more women in leadership, I think is at a crucial time because we're part of the changing narrative of, of the church, how people see the church. And that's a gift. Um, that, that, that really is a gift. Mm. Do you think that will help bring authenticity that you mentioned earlier is not necessarily have been there or build trust? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, if you read the findings of the Royal Commission, I think that's one of their conclusions, that if um, women had been uh, more in leadership, that, that, that would have affected the culture of the church. It's not to say that women can't be guilty of of misuse of power and so on. I want to be very careful there. But I do think if there had been more women in leadership, um, particularly if it was more like 50-50 and so on, it would, yes, the church would have a very different culture. For, and, and, uh, and so I think the next key moment for us is actually about um, violence against women and the work the, the church can play in being part of as a faith community in preventing that, that violence. And again, given the fact that I believe, you know, Christians believe that male and female are made in the image of God, I would like to think we take a leading role in that rather than be um, dragging the chain and, and, and so on. Yeah. So, so for me, um, that's another very important thing, um, that, that's really that women have a key role to play in, in that, or, or men and women together in the church have a key role to play. And part of my partnership portfolio is actually preventing violence against women. So the Diocese of Melbourne has actually had quite a lead role in, in that, not just responding to, but actually looking at a, um, being part of a whole-of-population approach to preventing violence against women, uh, to be really working to overcome that inequality between men and women that we that we find in our society, uh, which results in the terrible statistics around um, physical violence and death. But that's really the tip of the iceberg of what's the full thing, yeah. How do you get that message 
to people that aren't churchgoers? This is not just about the church, okay? So in Victoria, there's been a number of things that have happened. Um, globally, there's been that recognition that th things like uh, women in leadership and things like that, part of the millennial goals, you know, really significant in having an impact on, on violence and things like that. Nationally, there's been the establishment of Our Watch and, and a Change the Story framework developed for preventing violence against women. And within that, seeing faith communities as a key opportunity uh, as uh, yes, there can be things that can happen in that, but they're also a key opportunity. And in Victoria, there was the um, commission into family violence, and a lot of recommendations, uh, 200 and something rather recommendations that are accepted by the Victorian government. Three of them related specifically to faith communities. Again, acknowledging violence that can happen there, but also seeing them as an opportunity. So I don't think it's a case of the church necessarily um, telling everyone else what to do, but being part of what's trying to be to be done and seeing ourselves as part of that and taking a lead in that as part of that whole. So as well as training that we're giving to clergy and lay leaders, we're actually um, also uh, have funding from the Victorian government to be part of a, a whole of organisation approach. So we've got a pilot going with five churches and we'll see what goes from there. That whole, when I'm talking about that whole of population approach, it's putting it on a par with something like say, anti-smoking campaigns. You know, like, so in Australia, in the 60s, you, you got used to it on the television, all sorts of things, people smoking left, right and centre, whereas now it's a shock. There's so few places that you smoke publicly and things like that, So, it, or seatbelts. Yes, one still has to respond to a car accident, but people wearing seatbelts actually prevents a lot of those things as well. Mm. Sounds like it's being part of a conversation. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Mm. So just to finish, there's so much more we could talk about. I'm yeah, sure we'll yeah. talk again. Yeah. But just to finish this uh, conversation, would you like to share your favourite verse? Yeah, so it's um, Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And what I'm meaning in that is that good things happen, bad things happen, hard things happen, whatever. God can bring good it doesn't mean that God means them to happen or causes them to happen or something like that. But whatever happens in one's life and in the world, God can bring good out of it. And for me, I suppose, who lost my father at a very early age, uh, things like that, I, I really trust in that, that all things work together for good for those who love Jesus. Hmm. Why do bad things happen? That's what a lot of people who aren't followers would ask. If your God's real, why does he let this happen? Why do bad things happen? Because God hasn't created us all as robots. Um, he's created us very genuinely with people who can choose. Choose to be in relationship with him. Choose to um, live God's way. Uh, choose to follow Jesus or not. He's created a living universe and a free universe and, uh, and, and it's around um, that tension. I, I, I can't fully explain it because I, I, I actually also do believe very firmly in a God who is sovereign, um, that, he, that he is all-powerful, all-good and all-loving. So I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I, for me it's about holding those two in, in tension because otherwise I'm just a robot having to do what God says and that's actually not how God's created me or others. Mm. There's a whole other conversation we're going to have. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs>
Bertie Prayers, a Watchware Media Production.